As I read the news, it's becoming increasingly, increasingly difficult not to read about a person, it seems like especially a man, who at one time was held in high esteem by people around him, but now is uh, on the receiving end of uh, credible accusations of sexual abuse or sexual harassment. And it's happening a lot out there. And it's happening in the church. People that, that uh, we looked up to and people that maybe we learned a lot from were finding out um, you know, there were some credible accusations and there some confessions or some denials, but you, know, you can tell that the denials aren't very strong. And so that's very distressing. It's very distressing to me, uh, I think to any, any Christian, to see someone who at one time carried the, mat, carried the banner for the church or carried the banner for the ministry and, and now we see them under these accusations and in many cases, like I said, um, it, it becomes clear that the accusations are true. You know, in, in our world, we have a lot of critics of Christianity, a lot of critics of the church. In our world, we have cynics who always look at the negative side and who say, well, this only proves that all Christians are hypocrites. And that Christianity is nothing but a, but a myth full of lies and, and deception. Critics and cynics always say that. They always say, that just proves you're all the same. You're all hypocrites. In fact, uh, cynics say that every man has his price. Every Christian has his price or her price. You offer them the right thing and they'll flip. Offer them the right thing, the right temptation, the right uh, amount of money, whatever it is, and they will sell their soul. Give them uh, or offer them a seat at the table. Vote for this person and, and you'll, you'll be in charge of the country. Offer them what they want and, and they'll reject their beliefs because every man has his price. That's what cynics say. And sometimes it feels like it's hard to argue against that. When we see what's going on, in our contemporary society, it's hard to argue that with, uh, against that. And even in the scriptures, we think, yeah, there were some people that were doing well, but turns out they had their price and, and they flipped. Esau had his price, right? Esau's price was food. He gave up his birthright for food. And that's kind of scary, you know, to me. Like, oh, I love to eat. But he, you know, he, he gave up his, his birthright for food. Judas had his price. His price was 30 pieces of silver. Okay, Jesus isn't going to lead us into rebellion. Uh, if he's not going to set up an earthly kingdom, then I don't want to be a part of this. I'll, I'll get some money out of this. So there are men and, and women who, maybe cynics are correct in, in that area. They have their price, but they're wrong in that everybody has their price because not everybody will sell their soul, not everybody will give up their beliefs. No matter what you offer them that they may want. Because there, there is a, a man that we're going to read about today in 1 Kings 21 by the name of Naboth. And Naboth was a man of strong conviction. He was a man of noble character. And he was a man who was not for sale. He was not for sale. Even though we're going to find out it cost him his life. 
which tells me that he was under a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure to give up his spiritual values and principles, but he refused to do that, and it cost him. So let's read the story in 1 Kings 21, beginning with verse 1. Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Then let me interrupt myself and just give you a little bit of background. Remember that we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that uh, the nation of Israel was divided at this point, at this time. This is a divided kingdom. We have the northern kingdom, which was Israel. and It was made up of ten tribes. And the southern kingdom was Judah. It was made up of only two tribes, of the twelve. So Ahab was the king of the northern part, which, which, which is uh, Israel. And uh, the, the capital was in Samaria. But apparently he had a palace in Jezreel, probably a summer palace. Others think well, it was a winter palace. Well, it was, a, it was another palace in Jezreel, and that's where he was. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Now, verse 2. Ahab said to Naboth, let me, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden, since it is close to my palace. In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard. Or, if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it is worth. And now, as we, as we look at that offer that Ahab the king made to Naboth, it seems like it's a, it's a good offer. It's a good business deal. So it's, this would make a good transaction. He's saying, give me your vineyard. I will give you a better vineyard. Now, better is an upgrade, right? If somebody offers you something better, I'll give you a better car. Okay. I'll give you a better job. That sounds like a good deal. And he says, he says, if you prefer, I'll pay you whatever it's worth. So it sounds like it's a good deal. But verse 3 says that Naboth replied, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. So that was a very strong no. No. Reject it. Verse 4. So Ahab went home, sullen and angry, because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. He lay on his bed, sulking, and refused to eat. His wife Jezebel came in and asked him, Why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? He answered her, Because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, Sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife, said, Is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up! And eat, cheer up, I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. Now, if you know anything about King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, Ahab was a wicked king. In fact, verse 25 of this same chapter tells us that there was no other king as wicked as Ahab. And Israel, if you know the history of Israel at this time, Israel had some really bad kings. So for... For us to read that, a, that there was no king as, as wicked as Ahab, that says a lot. But then that same verse 25 tells us the reason why he was so wicked was because his wife was worse. Jezebel was the epitome of evil. And she incited him to do wicked things. So when, he, when she says to him, is that how you act? Hey, get up and eat. I'll take care of this. Then we can rest assured that she would and she did 
take care of this. Now, this is an important story for us because I believe that the time will come for all of us. The time will come for all of us when we will be tempted to give up our God-given values and principles to receive or accomplish something that fulfills a carnal desire. We're all going to be tempted in this manner. And when we're tempted, what will we do? What will you do when you face, and maybe you already have, face that temptation where you're tempted to give up the things that God has given you for some moment of pleasure, for some illicit relationship, for some monetary gain, because maybe your greed is more than your love for God or, or what God has given you. What will you do when you're tempted to sell your soul, when you're tempted to give up your beliefs for something that will benefit you in the short run? How will you respond? Naboth responded with moral strength. And as I read the story, and, and I understand, as I said earlier, he, he was facing, facing extreme pressure. This was not like, I want to buy your vineyard. No, I don't think so. Okay, well, I just thought I'd ask. No, he was facing extreme pressure. And the reason we know this is because he was killed for that. He was killed. So how is it possible that he responded with moral strength? How did he do that? Well, I think, first of all, we have to see how much Naboth loved God and he loved God's word. His answer was, the Lord forbid that I should sell the inheritance of my fathers. The Lord forbid. Now, to others, this might have simply uh, been a, a business transaction. And, and as I said, a good one. Seems like it's a good business transaction. But to Naboth, this was a spiritual decision because this land had been given to him by God. And he loved God too much to give it away or to sell it for profit. Especially when it was expressly forbidden by God to do that. Because you see, when Israel first entered the promised land, every tribe and every family was given a portion of the land. It was a portion that was given to them. This is your portion. That was their inheritance. They would receive that. That was from God. They, they were explicitly told in the book of Leviticus that they, would, they should not sell that land. They should not give it away because God had given it to them. And they were to pass it on to their children as an inheritance. And so if they were to... Uh, it was to remain in their family forever. But if they were to lose it, maybe... Uh, to a creditor as a payment for a debt, that was a possibility that they would have to, they would lose their land as a payment for a debt. But God allowed that every seven years, what he called the, the year of Jubilee, those lands that were lost at, as payments for debt were to revert back to the original owners. So it would remain in that family. Eventually it would come back and remain in that family. So he knew this was God's command. He loved God. He knew God's word. He loved God's word. And he teaches us today that every decision we make must be considered by asking the question, how will this affect my relationship with God? What does God want me to do here? Our decisions, decisions that we make must be guided by our love for God and by what God's word teaches us. 
Our decisions must be guided by our love for God and the principles in God's word. The Bible is our handbook. We can't ignore the Bible and remain obedient to God. Our lives will be filled with wrong decisions one after another if we ignore God's word. We'll find ourselves selling out to sin. We'll find ourselves giving up our rich spiritual inheritance if we don't learn to read, study, and obey God's word. So everything, whether it's related to your family, to your job, to your health, to whatever it might be, has to be considered by asking the question, what does God say about this? Because I love God and I want to please God. When I have a decision to make uh, at home or in my schedule, if I try to decide do I stay longer here or go over here, and I'll consider what does my wife, you know, how, does, how is this going to affect her? And sometimes I'll call her and say, hey, I'm thinking of working late. And she'll say, well, I got supper ready. Okay, well, I'll, I'll come home. Or she'll say, that's fine, you know. You can take me out to eat later. Okay, we'll do that. Uh, You know, I consider what what she wants to do because I love her. And my love for her determines that, you know, uh, or uh, makes me consider uh, what I'm going to do in each case. So because Naboth loved God and loved his word, then he considered what God had taught. But not only that, he loved his family. He said, God forbid, the Lord forbid that I should give away the inheritance of, The inheritance of my family, the inheritance of my ancestors. In other words, he valued what he had received from his father. And he wanted to be in a position to pass that on to his children. So they could pass that on to their children. You know, personally, I can tell you the greatest inheritance that I received from my parents was a spiritual one. They taught me to love God. They taught me to love his word. They taught me to love the church. They taught me to live fully surrendered to God. That's huge. You know, they, they cared for our physical, material needs. I think back to when we were all in, in college at one time. There were four of us, four of us in, in college at one time. And now I think, how did my parents do it? Ryan is asking me the same question. And now that he's got his own budget and he's got a budget for food and and uh, he says, Dad, how did you do it? And when we went out to eat, how did you pay for all of us? I said, I took out a small loan every time. That's the only way you can pay for your family when you go out to eat. And so my parents took care of our material needs. But the greatest thing they gave us was not the, the material or the financial. The greatest thing they gave us was our spiritual inheritance. And I've discovered that that's the one thing that Satan wants to take away from me. The one thing that he wants to cause me to lose, he wants me to give up, is my spiritual inheritance. Those of you who are in a situation like mine, where you received a strong spiritual inheritance from your, from your parents or from your grandparents, that's where Satan is going to tempt you. He's going to tempt you to give up the good, godly habits of going to church, of serving him, of uh, you know, everything that you learn from your parents. He's going, to, he's going to tempt you to give those things up. That's why the fiercest battles are always spiritual in nature, because Satan wants us to give up our spiritual inheritance. In fact, I I can assure you, he's scheming right now with his minions. He's scheming scheming to, to find a way to cause you, to tempt you, to give up your spiritual inheritance. Because he knows that if he if he gets you to do that, if he gets you to 
as you face a temptation, to yield to that temptation. And, and he, he causes you to rationalize, well, you know, I can do it this time. I've been, I've been good, but this time I can allow myself to do that. If he causes you to sin, then he knows that it not only will affect you, but it will affect your family as well. It will affect your children. Some of you don't even have children yet, but it's going to affect your children if you set up a pattern for your life of ignoring God. If you give up your spiritual inheritance for a moment or for a lifetime of worldly pleasure, what is that going to do to your children? What will you have to offer your children if that's the decisions? If those are the decisions that you are making. And so Naboth loved his family. He didn't just say he loved his family. He proved it when he refused to make a profit out of that property, when he refused to give up something that God had given him to pass on to his children. I think often of the story of David, King David, and one of his sons named Absalom. Absalom was a a good-looking young man and uh, very charismatic. People loved him. But he and his father David did not get along. And it went back to to the fact that uh, Absalom had a sister who was sexually assaulted. Her name was Tamar. And Tamar was sexually assaulted by one of their own half-brothers. Her half-brother assaulted her. He raped her. Absalom found out. And he also knew that David, the father, also found out, but he never stepped in, never did anything about it. And he grew, uh, Absalom grew resentful, bitter. And two years later, he took matters into his own hands and he killed his half-brother who had raped his full sister. It was a mess. It was a mess. And, and David just never, he never stepped in. I mean, he was, he, he was, he was a man after God's own heart, but this is another area that he, he just messed up. And because of that, there was so much pain and heartbreak in his family, among his children. In fact, uh, uh, the relationship grew very strained between David and his son Absalom, very strained. Uh, finally, David called him in to Jerusalem, he called him into the palace, and his son went, and he was there, and he thought, okay, my dad's going to call me in, and we're, we're going to talk this out, we're, we're going to settle it. He never called him in. He just had him there, never called him in. And Absalom was thinking, why did he call me in? Why did he bring me in if he's never going to call me in? And so Absalom ended up leading a revolt against his own father, the king. He, he organized a group of men, a group of people who were loyal to him, and he led a revolt And when he led this revolt, then the king's men, King David's men, went out to fight against Absalom. And David told them, deal gently with my son. Deal gently. Don't don't kill him. Spare his life. But alas, uh, one of the men found him and ended up killing him. Killed David's son. When word came back to David that his son had been killed, your enemy is dead and the revolt is over, it's been squashed. Then they told him that his son was dead and David, the Bible says that he went into his palace and he cried and he wept out loud and he said this, he said, Oh, Absalom, Absalom, my son, Absalom. How I wish 
I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. How I wish I had died. How many fathers tell their kids that? Oh, I love you so much. I would die for you. And the children who know their dad might say, Dad, I just want you to live for me. I just want you to be here for me. I just want you to teach me. I just want you to guide me. I just want you to show me. So dads, it's not enough for us to say, I'll die for you. No, our kids want us to live for them. A lot good it does for us to say, I'll die for you when we won't live for them. And Naboth said, I'm going to live for my family. I am not going to, I'm not going to give up my spiritual inheritance for my own benefit when I know it's going to affect my children. And so despite his faithfulness to God and to his word, despite the fact that he loved God and he loved his word and he loved his family, Naboth was falsely accused and he was killed. And Jezebel was behind this. She told the king, I'll take care of it. And sure enough, she sent a message to the spiritual elders, the religious leaders in Israel and, and told them, I want you to have a big banquet and I want you to invite Naboth. And I want everybody to fast. Like this is a really big problem here. Really big problem. We're going to fast. It wasn't a problem. You know, he just wanted his vineyard. But she presented it like a big problem. I want you to fast, and I want you to invite Naboth to eat at this banquet after you fasted. And so, sure enough, they, they had it, this big event. Naboth was there. And she had hired, the Bible says, two scoundrels, two scoundrels, liars. And she told them what to say. And at this banquet, in front of everybody, they accused Naboth of cursing God. And so the elders thought, well, this is terrible. You know, he's, bringing, he's bringing curses down on our people because he cursed God. And so uh, they took him out and they stoned him to death. So you might think, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought when we serve God, God will bless us and God opens all the doors of blessing for us. Why did this happen to Naboth? He, he was doing the right thing. He was being tempted to give up his spiritual inheritance. But he, he held strong. He said, no, I won't do it because I love God. I love, I love God's word. I believe God's word. And I love my family and I won't do it. Then he's killed. What does this tell us? I think, I think it tells us something very important. And that is, is that when we maintain our integrity, things may not always work out for us. But God is always pleased with us. Things may not always work out for us, but God is always pleased with us. Not because we're so good, but He's pleased because we trusted Him. Because trusting God pleases God. Trusting God pleases God. And when God is pleased with us, He acts on our behalf and His actions are always loving and and powerful. What we don't see here is what happened with Naboth's family. We can imagine what would have happened to his family if he had given up his spiritual inheritance. He would have had nothing for them. But what we don't see is how blessed they must have been because their father took a stand for what he believed for or was right. And when God is pleased with us, he acts on our behalf and his actions are always loving and they're always powerful. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying take a stand for what's right when you're tempted to give up your spiritual beliefs when somebody tempts you for a moment of, of sexuality, of sensual pleasure. Somebody tempts you, 
you know, for, for profit, for money. So somebody tempts you and say, hey, if you do this, you'll have a seat at the table. You'll, you'll be one of the power uh, people, power men, power women at the table. And when we say no to that and we say yes to God, that doesn't mean we're going to get killed. It could mean our reputation would be affected. It could be that we will struggle financially. It could be we're, we're going to be lonely with, without a companion because we said no to an illicit relationship. And we're going to be feeling like, God, I need somebody. Now I'm all, all alone. It could be that we'll be minimized and we'll be considered unimportant because we're not right there with all the movers and shakers. It could mean those things. But God is pleased because we trusted Him and trusting God pleases God. I'd rather God be pleased with me than for things always to work out for me. And the bottom line is a lot of times things do work out because God is, is faithful in that way. But I just want to finish by sharing with you, what do we do when we're tempted? What should you do when you're tempted to sell out your spiritual values and principles? I love what Ed Young says, and I heard him say this years ago. He said, when you're, when you're tempted to sin, borrow pain from the future. What does that mean? Borrow pain from the future. Well, imagine going through with that sin. Imagine you're giving up. You're a person who believes that, that sex is for one man, one woman within the context of marriage. But man, this relationship is right there and he likes you, he loves you, he makes you feel good. And you're like, for a moment of pleasure, you're going to give up what you believe. You're going to sell your beliefs for that moment of pleasure. Or you're a married man and you're being tempted to have a, an adulterous relationship. And you, know, you, you love your wife and you love your kids, but man, this, you know, she is so good looking and she's right there and she likes you. And nobody, nobody has to know, nobody has to find out. What do you do? You borrow pain from the future. And what that means is, go ahead and, and, and imagine that you're going through with this. You went through with it and it was good, it was fun, and nobody found out. But then keep going a little further in your, in your thought process because eventually someone will find out. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. So eventually somebody will find out, well, I want you to borrow pain from the future. Imagine the pain of your children, of your wife, when they find out. Picture them crying. Picture your parents asking you, why did you do this? Picture and imagine the pain. And if it's a crime that you committed, your name on the front page of the paper. Borrow pain from that situation. Bring it back to now and say... I don't want to put my children through that. I don't want to put my spouse through that. I don't want to put myself through that. Because the pain will come. Borrow pain from the future. What do you do when you're tempted to sell out your spiritual values and principles? Cry out to God for help. Cry out to God. We all face these temptations. I, I started by saying the time is going to come that we're all going to be tempted to give up our spiritual values. We all face those temptations. Don't try to handle them on your own. Cry out to God for help. God understands. God knows the, the tension, the amount of pressure on you. He knows what it's like to be tempted. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. So call on him, say, God, help me. I'm being tempted and 
I need strength. I need your help. Give me a way out. Give me a way out. Because the Bible says that God doesn't allow temptation without also giving us the way out. So the way is there if we'll call out to God for help. So don't try to handle this on your own. This is serious. This is, this is, a, you know, this is not going to be the prayer where you, you kind of whisper it out to God. But this is where you say, God help me. Cry out to Him for help. Borrow pain from the future. Cry out to God for help. And then when you're being tempted to sell out your spiritual values and principles. Just trust God to fill in the gaps in your life. We all have gaps. And maybe your gap is a gap of loneliness. God, I'm just lonely. I just need companionship. I just need someone. But you know what? Don't, don't do it the wrong way. Just trust God. Just trust God. Say no to sin. And trust that God's going to fill in that gap some way, somehow. I don't know how He'll do it. But God is great at filling in the gaps of our lives. Maybe your gap is a financial need. God, I know this is wrong. I know this is cheating. But this could help me financially. You know what? Say no to that and trust God to fill in the financial gaps in your life. Let Him fill those in. Maybe your, your gap is just a lack of, of, of job or career advancement. You just need a better job and you're willing to cheat to put yourself in a situation that you maybe can be promoted. Say no to that and trust God to fill in that gap in your life. Whatever the gaps are, God knows and He'll fill them in if you trust Him. Let Him honor you for obeying Him. Rather than judging you for giving up your spiritual inheritance. Borrow pain from the future. Cry out to God for help. Trust God to fill in the gaps in your life. And finally, make yourself accountable to others. Be a part of a community. Because isolation leads us to give up. It, it puts us in a situation where we're much, ease, in a, uh, much easily, much more easily, I should say, we give up our spiritual inheritance when we're in isolation when we're by ourselves and we're not accountable to anybody it's a lot easier to say yes to those temptations but when we're a part of a community when we're a part of a church then the church serves a purpose of holding us accountable have you ever said yeah you know i better not do this what's going to happen when People at the church find out. Well, that's, a, that's not a bad question. I know some people say, well, you shouldn't worry about that. Well, I know. I think, I think we should. I think that's, that's one of the processes of, of accountability that we need to have in our lives. This is why I love the Wednesday night Bible study because we have time to, to talk and to, to study and to pray and to develop a, the relationship to the point that we make ourselves accountable to people. I like it when... From time to time, I, I get a text from somebody who says, Hey, I'm not going to be in church this weekend. Sorry, you got to be out of town. And I think, they don't have to let me know. But I'm glad they do because they're just making themselves accountable. There's no requirement that says you have to tell me when you go out of town because I'm the pastor. You better tell me. There's no requirement to do that. But some people do just because they feel accountable. And I, I think that's good. Because accountability helps us to remain strong in the face of temptation. Now look, let me just finish with this. We all, we all face this moment of temptation to sell out or to give up our spiritual values and principles. You've got to be ready for that. You've got to be prepared when that comes. 
You got to be ready. You, you can't just go out there and, and suddenly it hits you. You're like, oh, what am I doing? Friday, I was at uh, Marcus and Bethany's house and they've, they're having a, a problem with the neighbor's dogs coming over. They have three pit bulls that made a hole in the fence and they're coming over. And so the guy came in, uh, he needed to work on the yard. This man came in and, and uh, he had an appointment to go work in the yard. And so he needed to get to the backyard. So I thought, okay. I told him, I don't know what to do. So he says, well, I, I need to go somewhere else. I'll, I'll be back in about an hour. So I thought, okay, maybe I can get the dogs over. I didn't think this through. <laughs> I went outside. I went outside. And then right around the corner comes one dog, then another dog, then another dog. And I didn't realize how big they were. And so I, I, I didn't think it through because I don't know if I was going to try to push them through the hole. I don't know what I was thinking, you know. But I went out there because I'm thinking this guy needs to get to the backyard. So I went out there. And then they start jumping on me. They're strong. They're hitting me. And I was thinking, Lord, don't let them start growling. I didn't know if they were friendly or not. I had no idea. I just went out there totally unprepared. So I got halfway out there, and they're jumping on me, and they're pushing me, and they almost pushed me down because they're three big dogs. I thought, okay. I remember thinking, this was the wrong thing to do. And I turned around, and I'm pushing them off, and I made it back inside the door, the, inside the house. I thought, close the door. I thought, Phew. that was not very smart. But sometimes we go out just like thinking, oh, okay. And then the temptation hits us, and we're like, what do I do now? I'm in trouble. I really felt for a split second, I'm in trouble out there in the back. I'm in a little bit of trouble here. And we get hit with temptation. If we're not prepared, if we haven't made up our mind and made a commitment to, to God and, and made a decision that we're going to serve Him and then made ourselves a part of a, of a church, of an accountability group, and, and we're helping each other. If we're not prepared in that manner, then when the time comes and we're tempted, we're going to yield to that. So we've got to make a firm decision and commitment to follow Jesus, to allow Him to change us and to strengthen us. We've got to be uh, a part of the process to make ourselves a part of a community of people learning and growing together. Because when the temptation comes, we can be like Naboth. Yes, there are Judases, and yes, there are Esau's. Yes, there are men and women who make mistakes, but even they have an opportunity. Even, you know, I'm not, I, I understand it's, that it's possible we might have made a mistake in the past, but you know what? God forgives that. He gives us another chance, but let's not fall into the pattern of living that way. Naboth was not for sale. What about you? Are your beliefs for sale? Are your values, your principles, things that are based in God's word that were taught to us by our parents. Are they for sale? Would you, how easily would you give them up? What would it take for you to give them up? I pray that we would follow the example of Naboth.